One look at a, a younger William Reed became very obvious that this was a man that had worked hard at trying to transform his body from just the ordinary to the extraordinary. And he obviously met, spent many a day, many a morning in the black and white colorless places of the gym, morphing himself muscle upon muscle, changing who he was. And as I looked at William Reed, I, I thought of a, a man that had really put in a lot of effort to become something different than what he was. And yet there was one muscle that, that despite whatever he might do, it, it just wouldn't change. It was an optic muscle, and it was a muscle that actually caused him to see the world in, just through a black-and-white reality. The black-and-white of a gym was, was sort of the normal that he would, that he would just be facing. And yet, on his 66th birthday, he was given a gift. It was a gift that, as he put on some specialized glasses, for the very first time, he was able to see a world that wasn't just black and white. All of a sudden, it took on luster and brilliance of seeing not just shades, but seeing something that was totally changed. And as I watched his eyes just become large, and what he was able to see, my eyes actually transformed too, because it was now, I wasn't just sort of an observer, now I was actually stepping in and, and becoming very teary at, at imagining what his, his life change had become. You know, and as I thought about the story of, of William Reed, I, I, I thought that it very appropriate is that we're coming into the, the book of Mark, and specifically in the chapter 9 that we're looking at, as is God wants to give us new eyes to see things that, that we just don't see, to have a foretaste of, of what God wants for us, what God desires for us. And it's a, he gives us an amazing glimpse where he pulls back the curtain that makes the earthly look just black and white dreary alongside the colorless that he actually has for us. It's... It's a world that Jesus places the earthly alongside the heavenly and then would say to earlier, as he says in chapter 8, he'll say the words to him, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his soul? Like, are you, are you trading the earthly for the heavenly by pursuing a, a life that is not going to measure up. And yet, Mark wants us to see that if we choose not to see it, that our wrong vision will lead to wrong priorities where everything about life get, we get wrong. It's what he will say is that, and he talks, just following the verse of what is a prophet, he then says, whoever's ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation... Of him, the Son of Man, Jesus, will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. When you're trading off trinkets for treasure, do you understand that I have color, I have luster that you haven't even begun to see when we live for now as our priority and we give up the things that truly are important. We give little emphasis to these. They're just things that we, we pass by. And again, Jesus challenging us, don't, don't 
trade up trinkets for treasures because the reality of it is, and he says here, is that the Son of Man is going to come back. (laughs) And when he does, you will see the, the dreary, the black and white, and you'll see that there's glory that he wants totally different from what he says that we pursue. And it's a glory that's resident in the Father, and it also will say it's resident in the Son. Hebrews tells us that the Son, Jesus, is the radiance. He's the illumination. He's the reflection. He's the reflection of God's glory. So everything we see in Jesus is reflecting the glory that God is, and he is the exact representation of God's being. He sustains everything by his powerful word. And this is the vision this morning that we're entering into as we look at at the words of Mark chapter 9. We are to look at a place where he says, I want you to understand what glory is and the glory I've called you to. The, the glory that is to mark our lives. It is glory that one day we are told that we are to live in. Now, that, that doesn't mean we're sort of to forget now and live for then, as far as just that, the phrase you've often heard, that he's so heavenly-minded that he's no earthly good. That is ludicrous. It's impossible. Because if we truly understand that we're li- to live for God's glory then we'll be incredibly uh, worthy and valuable for earthly good, that we reflect him. But the better news is, is we don't just get to live in that place of glory. God tells us something else. But we all, with unveiled faces, looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into that same image. We are being transformed into the glory of Jesus. So, what it's saying is, it isn't Jesus has all the glory and we look upon. He's saying he's transforming you and I into that glory. The same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Now, you're going to hear me talk a lot. We're going to dig in a lot this morning about God's glory because if we get the glory question right, if we even tiptoe in to understand some of that, then Christ's word at the beginning, what's the profit of man? What's the profit if you gain the whole world? Trinkets. And you forfeit your own soul for what truly is critical, truly is important. So what that tells us is this. If, if this is true, and we are being transformed into his glory, what it tells us is this. Everything about your identity and my identity is being completely changed. It means the identity of the alcoholic John that can't get anything right is seen by God being transformed by the blood of Christ into something that he is an adopted, loved son of God. It tells me that the four-time married can't get marriage relationships right. Susan is saying, you are the adorned bride of Christ. 
New identity. It means the mess up, screw up Rob that can't stutter over different words. That you're one that God says, you're incredibly loved. Our identity is wrapped up in God's glory. Glory that we don't just look at, but something that we've been asked to enter into. But the story gets better. Because Mark 9 tells us we don't just get to see the glory or learn about the glory, but God, in chapter 9, actually pulls back the curtain. And he says, just for a snapshot, just for a very brief moment, I'm going to give you a glimpse of glory. It, it's a glimpse of glory that we're told totally changes those who saw it. Peter saw it. And, and Peter will later say these words when he read, uh, writes in first, first Peter. He says, we didn't follow cunningly devised fables. It's not myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But... We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We saw it. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter saw it and it transformed him. He was willing to do Go to death, upside-down crucifixion, because he saw it, he tasted it. John, who was also a witness of it, says this, we, we, we were there. We beheld his glory, even as the only begotten of the Father. He was full of grace, and he was full of truth. Uh, what John is capturing on is this. It was glory that was overwhelming, and later we'll get an idea of what that glory meant. But it says, that grace, it was wrapped up in grace. It was wrapped up in love. And, and the glory that we got, it was true. It was, he's all about truth. It's true. John's life was totally changed. And God gives them this glimpse of glory. He pulls back the curtain of heaven so they can see the glory because he knows what's coming. He knows that they're going to see and they're going to enter into when life still will have struggles. It will still have pain. It will still have failure. Just like it will for us. We live in that place. God knows that. And he said, I'm giving you a glimpse of glory because while you see this now, there's far greater ahead. Because Peter will still misspeak. He will, he will still say the things that shouldn't, he shouldn't say. And John will also be asking things that he shouldn't ask. There will be moments when a too self-confident Peter will briefly go adrift. But his post-resurrection encounter with Christ, it'll change everything. That this Jesus who they followed, who would unexpectedly leave, they weren't expecting that then. He said, but I'm coming back. I'm coming back. So the, the glory, I'm talking about the glory that you now have had a glimpse on. You're going to live in that. It's going to be your place. Your place as well. And he tells them, he says, I tell you the truth. Some who are standing here watching this, some here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. You are seeing it, Peter, Johns, and James. You're, you're watching it. 
It's a taste. But it's only a taste. You have no idea what lies. It's a kingdom of glory. And at that moment, I'm sure Peter and James and John, they understood. The kingdom that God has been talking, Jesus has been talking about all this time, it's not about power. It's not about the Romans and what he will do with them. It's about another kingdom that is beyond any kingdom that we can begin to enter into. It's a kingdom that God's purposes will never be challenged. His, His creation will never be blotched. It will be an unimpeachable glory. It's a kingdom, we're told, that that has no need of a son. Because Jesus will be all the radiance that that kingdom needs. His radiance will be spread throughout his entire kingdom. No son needed. Because he's going to do it. He's going to be it. His radiance will be on display, but we're told we also will bear some of that radiance because we are going to be reflections of Christ. It's a radiance that God comes back and says, again, what we let off with. What does it profit a person if you gain the whole world and you forfeit your soul? You miss on the treasure because you're so embedded in trinket. And in that place... God opening a different window to them. I'm sure before the disciples probably wondered and they envisioned what this new treasure could look like. And they they probably imagined what a new creation could look like with the absence of things. That there won't be sickness and there won't be death and there won't be wars and there won't be pain. They they probably imagined what might be present. There, There might be all the beauties of nature that they've seen, but they'll be better than that. There There might be other things that will be present. But what they could not have imagined was the incomprehensible glory of God and his kingdom that is waiting for us. And the beginnings of that, they saw as they stood on a mountain. Verse 3, we're told this, his clothes, Jesus, all of a sudden, his clothes, just in an instant, all of a sudden became radiant. They became intensely white as no one on earth could bleach them. Matthew tells us his face, it shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Trying to describe what they just for a moment glimpsed. Sounds very much like Revelation, when Revelation talks about, do you know who your king is? This is who he is. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. His voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at my feet as though dead. Why this is so important is our view of God... And our view of the one we follow is so small, so black and white compared to who he is and who he wants us to know. We only get shadows of what his glory is. But this is the king that says, I redeemed you on a cross. I saved you for a kingdom. (laughs) And it's a kingdom you can't even begin to understand. 
because it's filled with glory. And Peter and John's life was totally changed. And they need this view of Jesus. Because in a few days, they're going to experience what the prophet Isaiah said. Isaiah described this Jesus that they see now, who they would see. And Isaiah says this, His appearance will be so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form will be marred beyond any human likeness. He will begin to look unrecognizable because of all the stuff that would be inflicted on him. And as Peter and John and James stood at the other side of the cross and watching what they experienced, they would forget this view entirely because what they saw was horrific. But they would be returned once the grief subsided and when he returned. And they would say, that's the view of glory that the God, King of Kings, wants you and I to know. This is the glory that the King of Kings says, I died that you may come into my kingdom of glory that you don't even begin to understand what it's like. It's glory beyond the cross, beyond the empty tomb, taking us to a coming kingdom. It's glory beyond the things just witnessed. It's glory beyond COVID and beyond heartbreak and beyond pain and relationship breakup. It's the places where we don't understand, we can't make sense of what is God doing. And we say, well, God, does God love? God says, come back to my glory. Because it's not just a glory I possess. It's a glory I give. And it's a glory that you too are going to wear. Because you need that glory within my kingdom. The reason I know, for among many, that I know it's a glory not just belonging to Jesus, because we see in verse 3, it says, And appearing to him was a glorified Elijah and Moses. And that glory, the appearance of Moses and Elijah there, it's a reminder that this world's not our home. That Moses, Moses who who seemingly God buried or put somewhere in a mountaintop, and Elijah, we're told, never died, that they're still alive. And they're living in that glory. And that glory is for us as well. It's an Elijah that death never touched. Which is a reminder of God saying to you and me, folks, right now, you and I live in the in-between time. The in-between time that life is tough. It's an in-between time that John and Shirley and Glenn and Bonnie and Tom and Elaine. He reminds, Jesus reminds, we're just sojourners here. We're just, we're just walking for an in-between time. An in-between time being temporary residents. Who are to live here, to engage here, to, to work here, but in all cases to live for the one that says, be representatives of my glory. We see in Moses, he was a representative of the law who saw God, who talked with God, who revealed the holiness of God. But God, though he was present, was not near. 
He, he was a representative of the law. In Elijah, we see a great representation of the, of the prophets. He was powerful. He was a man of faith. He did the miraculous. He, he's the prophet that said he's going to announce the coming Messiah. These two represent the prophets and the, and the law. As they looked forward to a deliverance that one day would come. It was a deliverance where God would make everything new. But the difference about this deliverer is that he wouldn't be a representative. He wouldn't represent God. He would be God. He would be God who would come in glory. Though his glory would be shielded from us. But the transfiguration, again, it pulls back the curtain. And it's interesting and important that we understand that we're told in Mark 9, verse 3, we're told when the, when the disciples hear and see the glory, it says they were terrified. And when they heard the voice from heaven, it said they fell down on their feet though as dead. We, we read stuff about Johnny who's gone to heaven and it was all full of warmth and, and lovely things and nice singing birds and whatever. Well, it's kind of interesting because none of, the, none of the characters in the Bible tell us that. Instead, what we're told is from the verse from Isaiah. Isaiah says, woe is me, I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, woe is me, I've seen God himself. Gideon says, alas, O God, our Father, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Manoah, who, we won't go into the who, he says to his wife, we are going to die. For we have seen God. God in his glory. Opening the doors for those that know Jesus. To step into that and know him without any fear. But this side of being redeemed. A God of incredible glory. The psalmist gives us the idea. He says the voice and I've capsulized the word Lord, one, because it is in the, ancient, the original languages. But the other part is, God is not just our best friend. God is not just the one who gives us nice things. God is not just the one who is, is warm and fuzzy. He is Lord God Almighty. He, the voice of the Lord, it is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes them also skip like a calf, Lebanon and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord divides the flame of fire. The voice the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, everyone says, glory. The Lord sat enthroned at the flood, and the Lord sits as king forever. Why is this important? Because if we don't get our picture of God right, then we adopt an attitude of sort of like, 
Well, I've lived a good life and I can do this. Do you understand before whom you will stand? Who I will stand? We will stand before the God that thunders. The God that strips the the cedars bare. And the beauty for those who know Christ is that you're all forgiven. You're all clean in the blood of Christ. Sure, you could stand before me. Because he stand before me in the presence of the glory of my son. If we don't get a picture of God right, we will never get the picture of the cross right. Because it's the picture of God who says, I am a God of immense power, of incredible holiness, that no unholiness will stand before me. That's why the cross. That's why I poured my sin, my, my anger over the sin upon my son, that he would take what you and I don't have to. All because of Jesus. So yes, Peter and the other disciples had good reason to be terrified because of the experience of what they went through. And you know, the interesting thing is, the next verse tells us, Moses and Elijah and Jesus are talking about one thing. They're in a conversation. It says that they're talking about the things that are to come. What they're talking about is Calvary. Surrounded by glory, wearing glory, and they're saying, we're talking about Calvary? Calvary seems to be the last place glory would be. That's where the horrific was. That's where the terrifying was. But they're talking about what's to come. Beyond the glory, where he would suffer and die, how he would be delivered by sinful men, how he would be rejected and betrayed, how Jesus had been telling his disciples that, but it didn't make sense to them, so that his words hadn't registered. But in a short while, it would. Calvary seeing such a, such a strange disconnect from glory. But it was a Calvary, where God threw the door, not just a glimpse, he threw the door wide open so that you and I could enter into the glory. It's an invitation into a kingdom that you can't understand, but it only comes through the door that Jesus says, I throw the door open to you at Calvary. That's why it was a discussion of what's to come in glory. We're told that The encounter with God that the disciples went through terrified them and fell them to their knees. And then we're giving a little glimpse that says Jesus touches them. He said, get up, get up. Because this glory was made for you. Because you can be forgiven and made new in Jesus. Which brings brings me to the last observation I have to make about the transfiguration. And that is this. That in the same way that Moses and Elijah represent the law and the prophets, there's a sense in which they also represent us. The transfiguration isn't intended to give us a spectator view looking at them. It's to invite us into a place and saying, here's the reality. There is not a person listening, there is not a person here that will not stand before God Almighty himself. 
a time for which each one of us will have to give an answer for how we chose, have chosen to live. We will stand before that glory. Those of us who know Christ will know that we're accepted into his glory. We're forgiven into that when we can stand confidently. But it will beg the question, I think, whether it actually does at that time or not, but it does beg the question, for what did I live? Did I really live for that glory? Or did I chase trinkets? But for others, that standing before that glory, it's going to be a terrifying experience. We won't stand there saying, well, this is the reason I think you should allow me to enter. This is the reason on what I did. This is, I don't want you to think about that, what I did over there. Just forget that. Because we're going to stand before the glory of the Lord. And none of us will be able to give any account outside of Christ. I, I close with coming back to William Reed. I watched the video of of William Reed as he put on the glasses. And this man was a powerful man. He was older at this time, but he was a powerful man, in control and self-assured. He was kibitzing back and forth with the family before he put on the glasses. He was tough. He was, a, he was muscle-bound, even, even, you could tell, from even at his age. And you watched him as he put on the glasses. And at first, he, he just didn't know what to say. And he didn't say anything. He just started clenching and, and, and dancing around. As he didn't know what to do. Because all of a sudden, this black and white world that, that he could only imagine color, all of a sudden, this black and white world came alive to him and he saw color. <laughs> and he was speechless. Folks, you and I are one day going to enter into a situation that God has said to us, <laughs> you're going to be speechless. Here in your best mind, neither, no ear has heard, no mind has thought, not, it's not of imagine what God has in store for those who love him. We have no idea. The conclusion, simply this. For what does it profit a man? If he gained the whole world, and he lose his own soul. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you've said that you have given us a gift that is unimaginable. It is a gift that we don't deserve. It's a gift that makes, on the human, makes no sense to us. We're not worthy of that. We're not deserving of that. But Lord, thank you for the cross. That you invite us into the place of glory. And not that we live now in some sort of, again, well, I'm I'm just waiting for then. But you've called us to be people now who share that glory, who wear that glory, and only partly now, we only understand it partly now, that we others, we invite others that they may know, that they can know new life in you. We thank you for that in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.